Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll be, we'll be getting into that. And as you, as you open up, I want to uh, ask a question, and it is like a really big picture question. The question is, why are we here? Now, you might go, okay, so like, why are we here, like, in this building? Why are we here, like, in this world? Why are we here in this town? Uh, who is we? I, okay, so we'll answer all those questions in just a second. But I want to I just focus on the idea of the question, because the question is oriented at something that is really important to all of us, which is, what is our purpose? See, purpose is something that's really, uh, really central to who we are, because, like, so, so y'all, um, some of you work jobs that you don't enjoy working. Uh, and I know, like, that, that is just like a reality. Like, you don't love your job, but you work at your job for a particular reason. Like, there's a purpose why you do that. And, and, and usually the reason is you need money. Like, that's, that's kind of what causes you. That's the kind of the purpose of you working a job that you don't necessarily love, right? So there's, there's a purpose there. If you didn't have a purpose for working that job, then you would get out of it as soon as you could because uh, it's already taken care of, right? And so, so, uh, so this thing about purpose is really, really important to us. This is, this is a big picture question that we have to, to deal with. And, and then so we ask the, the question of, okay, so why are we all um, here in this world, right? This is something that, that we process. And, and the reason we ask that question is because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, and so, uh, so I, I've talked about this several times, and uh, the elders, back in, in April, we got together and we asked the question, why is this church here? Why is Alliance Bible Church in the middle of Bartlett? What purpose has the Lord given us? And, and the way that we have articulated that purpose is this, we are working together to restore hope to all people. That's kind of, that's the purpose that we've had, that, that we have stated as we think about just the reality that, hey, we live in a broken world. There's a lot of brokenness around us, and, and we actually believe, like, the message that we have about Jesus, the hope that we offer in Jesus, and then also, like, the community that we have, like, we have a lot of resources, and we, we have the ability to, to step into places and help people who are struggling and, and that kind of stuff, like, we have an opportunity to step into brokenness and offer some kind of hope, right? So we said, okay, this is, this is what the Lord has us here, has this church here for. Okay, so uh, I have been criti- criticized, it's probably a little strong. I have been um, instructed that, uh, that I'm like maybe a little too big picture in my thinking. So, uh, so when we talk about this working together to restore hope to all people, there are probably some of you who are going, okay, that's great, but what does it look like? My, that's one thing that my wife says to me all the time. Okay, that's great, but what does it look like? Like, I need to know how practically this kind of thing works out. And so, so the elders actually, we stated a strategy. We stated sort of a how we're going to accomplish this purpose. And, and that strategy is this. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. That, that is our strategy. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. And so, uh, actually, I think it's helpful for us to, to, to dig into what it looks like for us to carry out this strategy. And so, for the next two weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking specifically at the idea of love. We're going to, like, hyper-focus on love and dig into uh, why. Why is love important for us? How do we effectively love each other at Alliance Bible Church and, and, and those kind of things? So, um, I think there's uh, the, the first question that you might have. Okay, so we put three things up there. Worship, love, and go. Why is love one major piece 
of our strategy. And to answer that question, if, if what we're doing is we're identifying brokenness in our world and, and we hope to restore hope to, the, to our brokenness, we actually have to look at some problems that exist in our world. And so the first problem that I want to identify is this. We live in a world that prioritizes self. We live in a world that prioritizes self. So, uh, so as we talk about the idea of love, uh, the idea of love is like looking outside of ourselves, right? That's, there's something there that, that has a little bit to do with that. And, and we believe that Jesus' love actually is, is not, just, uh, not just looking outside of ourselves, but, but it actually is a selfless love. So in a world of selfishness, we have, we're given this vision of a, a selfless love. So in a self-absorbed culture, which is really what we live in the middle of right now, Jesus' love actually compels us to love others. So, so this is what happens. People, they experience like the favor and love of God poured out for them through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross for their sins. As he, as he hangs there, he bears the weight of their sin and offers them the favor and acceptance of God. And so what we believe actually happens is that when people receive the favor and love and acceptance of God, that it actually starts to change them. And it takes people who are bent in on themselves and it turns them out to the world around them. This is what we believe happens. And so, uh, so uh, imagine you just see the world one way. You see the world through the lens of self and then in a moment something happens to you. You experience the favor and acceptance of God and then you begin to see the world differently and then love starts to replace selfishness and Jesus actually he talks about this he talks about the Rhea he recognized that we live in a world that prioritizes self and in John 17 verses 20 through 23 he, uh, he this is what he says he's praying for his disciples and then he prays beyond his disciples to all people who would eventually come to believe in his name this is what he prays Uh, In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So so Jesus is talking about all these people who are actually going to come to trust in him because of the words that his disciples would speak and write, and this kind of thing. That's us, by the way. We're the people who come to trust in Jesus uh, because of the things that these disciples would write and speak. And so uh, he, his prayer is that we would all be united in love for each other. And then, uh, and then in verse 22, he goes on further and says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, and this is the important part, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So that when we are in this world that is really inverted on self, the church, Jesus' people, have an opportunity to, to cast a vision. In a world where people desperately pursue self and and actually come up empty because of that pursuit, because we talked about that a little bit last week, we talked about how we pursue self and and that leads us often, often to emptiness, but in a world where people pursue self and come up empty, the self giving love that we have for each other has the opportunity to restore hope in that world. So that's the first problem. This reveals something about who the living God is, this love that we have for, for one another. It introduces them. It tells them something about God. And so, so that's one problem, and that's, that's the solution to that problem. Problem number two, 
Our world gives us a warped picture of love. So uh, when I was in, when I was in uh, elementary school, I, I would say something like, I love pizza, right? And so, so then somebody would speak up, noting that I said I love pizza, and they would say, well, why don't you just marry it then? Right? So, so they under, like, there's a recognition that the word, it doesn't fit the context, but we use it in all of these wrong ways all of the time. Right? And so, so we say that we love pizza, and then we say we love our, our romantic partners, whoever they might be, and we say that we love our friends. And then there's also the reality that, that love in our culture is actually the definition keeps changing in different ways. So, so if, if one person says love me, they might mean, hey, affirm me and the things that I want to be and do. Affirm me in all of my desires, right? That might be what they mean by love. They might just mean, hey, just give me your approval. They might mean, hey, I want you to have a feeling of love towards me. And this is what we talk about, like, maybe even like when a husband and wife love each other, they have this feeling of love. So, so the feeling is the foundation so that when the feeling disappears, the love no longer exists. I, no, I don't think that's, that's what the definition is. And so, so the problem is in our culture, we actually don't have a consistent, compelling vision of what love is supposed to be. Conversely, when the New Testament talks about love, it gives us a very different vision of what love is supposed to be. The New Testament vision of love is this. It is Christ-rooted action for my Christ-bought family exercised through humility and sacrifice. So as we look at, at, at how the New Testament tells us to love, this is the vision that it gives us. Christ-rooted action for my Christ-bought family exercised through humility and sacrifice. So that in a world that trivializes and diminishes the significance of love, we actually get to provide a vision for how God intends love to look. Like, that's the opportunity that we have. When, when, when our world doesn't understand love and it is trying to give it all of these different definitions, we have the opportunity as the church in the middle of this world to provide a vision for how God wants love to look. So from there, uh, we have to ask another question. And that question is this. Okay, so we can talk about all, all of the things that we're, we're supposed to do, but how do we carry that love out? And so there are really, like, uh, Scripture doesn't necessarily divide love in the ways that I'm going to divide it right now. The reason I'm dividing it this way is because, because it's what we need. It's how we need to divide it because there are misunderstandings that we have about love. And so, so I'm going to tell you how we're going to divide this with an illustration. I think of this, like, these two sides of love is like grandma's love and grandpa's love. Okay, and maybe you know what I'm talking about when I say this. Um, my grandma was very uh, sweet and affectionate and caring, uh, and she, uh, she gave me cookies all the time, and she made sure that uh, I was well taken care of, right? These were the things that I experienced from my grandpa, my grandma, and, and that's how she expressed her love towards me. And then my grandpa expressed his love towards me in, a, in kind of a different way. It was very instructive, uh, very, uh, at, at times, corrective, right? That was the kind of love that I got from my grandpa. So these are the, the, the two sides of these things, and this is what I experienced in my childhood. And I tell you, if I had one of those sides of love without the other side of love, it was going to be like a bad situation. It was not, this was not good for me. I needed both of those to kind of form me into the person that I am today. And so this is like uh, the two sides, like caring love and tough love. 
This is like a, a love that welcomes and, and shares with and affirms and, and a love that corrects and provides boundaries. A love that gives to people and a love that seeks to grow people. And a, a, a generous love and a, uh, or sorry, a gracious love and a truthful love. This is where we see the combination of truth and grace come together, right? And, and actually, the way that we're going to look at it over the next two weeks is we're going to look at it in terms of a generous love and a disciplined love. So today, we're talking about generous love. And these are, these are two sides of the same coin. They can't be separated from each other. If you have one without the other, then, then what the Bible actually indicates to us is you don't really have love if you pursue one of these without the other. So it's important that these two things go together. So we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at these two aspects of love. And this week we're looking at generous love. So in your Bibles, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, this passage, love this passage, so good. It's often read at weddings, which we, is, is excellent. Like this is, is an excellent picture of, of what love should be in the, the marriage relationship, right? But it's worth mentioning that the letter to the Corinthians is not a letter to husband and wife. It's a letter to a church. Right, So we often, when we talk about this passage, we talk about it in the relationship that, that a husband and wife are to have for each other, the kind of love that they're supposed to have. But, but actually, this, the intention of this text is to address the kind of love that we all are to have for each other. That's what Paul is going for when he writes this. And, and so as he writes this really beautiful treatise on love, he doesn't see romantic love primarily as the picture. He sees it with the church in mind. So now this Corinthian church that he's writing to, they have all sorts of problems. Um, they are dividing with each other over spiritual gifts. They are dividing over, with each other over the kinds of leaders that they have. Like, I follow this person and I follow this person, so they're choosing to divide over those things. Uh, they, they are lacking in their sexual purity and their sexual boundaries, and so he wants to address that. Uh, there's this son who's sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom, right? So he, he needs to address that. There are these, uh, these rich people who are neglecting poor people when they're eating together. There are all of these, like, horrible problems happening in the Corinthian church. And so, so Paul sets out to address these things. And at the beginning of the book, he really, he lays the foundation of who Christ is and what their identity is in Christ. Like, he starts there, and then he goes and starts addressing these, these individual issues. And then in, in the business, as he's in the business of helping them solve these, these different problems, he, he gives these different strategies, but then he comes to 1 Corinthians 13. And he kind of wants to lay things straight. He, like, basically, I could give you all the strategies I want, and you can do all the things you want, and you can follow all the leaders you want. But if one thing is not there, then all of it is meaningless. So in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noising gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's saying like, Okay, if this one thing is not true of the relationships, the way that you share with one another, then everything you do is meaningless. It's a, it actually doesn't accomplish anything. It's useless because love is not there. And so then from there, 
he actually proceeds to describe what this love looks like. So the question that we're moving forward with is, what does generous love look like? That's how we're going to move forward this morning. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Now, I want to give you a warning at the outset. Your temptation is going to be to listen to, to, to these words and to evaluate perhaps the person sitting next to you or maybe somebody else in the room. Uh, because you can think of examples of how maybe they haven't loved you in that way. And so I want to call all of us uh, to a posture of self-evaluation uh, so that as we hear these words, we're not trying to evaluate, okay, are you doing this for me? Are you caring for me? But, but the goal is to evaluate how are we, how are we individuals loving as Christ calls us to love. So uh, verse 4 says, love is patient and kind. The way, uh, way I'd like to state that is, is this. Uh, it makes space at the table. Love makes space at the table. So uh, how many of you have that person in your life? You know what I'm talking about, right? That person. That person who uh, maybe always has a complaint. That person that you kind of want to avoid. You know, you, like you see him in the hallway and you duck into a different room, right? And then you maybe go... Uh, that person who always maybe has a bone to pick, right? So, so think of that person. You know what generous love does? Generous love finds a way to make space for that person. Generous love finds a way to make space for that person. So it sets aside time. It sets aside resources for the sake of others, even if that person might tend to get on your nerves a little bit or might tend to annoy you. I don't know what it looks like, but... Um, even when that person sort of, sort of jeopardizes your typical way of life, generous love calls us to make space for that person. So uh, I think of in Acts chapter 3 when Peter, he's coming into the synagogue and uh, he, he's walking up and, and there's this beggar sitting outside the door of the synagogue and what is happening is that all of the people are coming in, in and out of this religious place of, of worship and, and they walk by this beggar ignoring him every day. The beggar to these people is like, that person, but Peter, as he's walking up, he looks at him, and he actually sees him, and he goes up to engage with him, and then, and then the guy asks for money. He says, uh, he says well, hey, will you give me some money here, and, 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 and Peter says, hey, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, right? So in that moment, he, he has kindness. He has patience. He actually goes to see the person that nobody else has time for or doesn't make space for, and that, this is what happened when, when, when patience and kindness combine with each other. They lead us to make space for people at the table. So verse 4 goes on, and it says, Love does not envy or boast. Another way to say that is, it is secure. So the primary problem with people who envy and boast is that they are insecure. So, uh, so if, I, if I want something, if I am envying something that you have, the problem is, is that I am not secure with the things that I have. And so I want something that you have, something that I can add to sort of my collection here, right? Uh, and if I boast, the, the problem with that is uh, I need to prove myself. I'm, I'm not secure in who I am. I'm not secure in my identity. I need to do something to, maybe I blame other people for my problems. Maybe I take credit that belongs to other people, but, but I'm not secure. And so this is what insecurity does. It, it tries to prove itself. It blames other people. It takes credit that doesn't belong to it. But this is what love says. 
Love says that I don't have to prove myself to you because Jesus has already proven me before the Father. I don't need to be more right than you are. I don't need to be better than you are. I don't need to have my act together more than you do. I don't have to be more impressive than you because Jesus says that I'm right and clean and holy and blameless and pure before the Father. That's what he says. And so if my identity is in Jesus, if who I am is in Jesus, then I can walk in to to, to conversations. I can walk into relationships fully secure because every source of approval that I need is in Jesus. I'm secure in him. And, and so this is, this is what it does. It's actually a truth that sets me free to love you without any sense of pretense, any sense of needing your approval, any sense of needing to prove myself to you because I already have everything I need in Jesus. So it's secure. Uh, verse four goes on. It says, it is not arrogant or rude. Another way to say that is, it is full of respect. So I want you to imagine you have uh, a really valuable family heirloom. Uh, perhaps it's a piece of furniture that you, you keep in your house, and you have to move from one place to another. And, uh, and so with that valuable family heirloom, you're actually going to take a lot of precautions in moving that. You're going you're gonna to put, uh, put some padding around it. You're going to make sure that there aren't too many things that could fall on it while it's in the moving truck. You're going to be really careful with this valuable family heirloom. You're going to go over and above, and, and this is why you recognize how valuable that thing is to you. And so, so you take all these extra precautions. So, so people who operate out of arrogance and rudeness, I would say that the primary issue that they're having is, is that they don't see the inherent value of the people that they're operating that way towards. They're, they're not operating out of a sense of respect for those people. And the reality is every person, based solely on the image of God in them, is inherently valuable. So valuable that Jesus would choose to to come to earth and give his life so that those people could have the opportunity to have a relationship with the Father. That's how valuable they are. And so it doesn't matter what they've done or who they are. If I believe that they're valuable, then I'm going to treat them with a sense of value. So I don't approach anyone with arrogance or rudeness because I'm always recognizing how valuable they are. Verse 5 goes on. It says, it does not insist on its own way. Uh, Say it like this. It sets aside preferences. So so go back to our value illustration. Typically when you move, one of your goals is efficiency. One of your goals is like time management. You want to get things done quickly because if you spend too long moving, it can be kind of a miserable process. And so, so when we look at this piece of furniture... What we actually do is, like, we sacrifice efficiency for the sake of making sure that that thing can stay protected, right? We set aside our preference for efficiency to make sure that that thing that we value a lot is is taken care of and and protected. And so um, when when you look and when you value another person, when you value a relationship, what you do is you, you don't let your personal preferences jeopardize that relationship, right? You work as hard as you can to not let your uh, preferences jeopardize the relationship. So I think of this like uh, worship styles in the church. Like, I, they're probably representative in this room at least 15 different preferences for how we do worship, right? But, but what happens when we come in here is that we all uh, willingly make an attempt to set aside those preferences so together we can worship. 
so that we can be a part of those things that, that we are doing together, right? So we don't want to let our preferences jeopardize the relationship that we have with each other. It goes on, it is not irritable or resentful. If you say this uh, the positive way, you would say it like this, it seeks understanding. So, uh, so irritable and resentful people have a problem. The problem is that they only see their own narrative. They only have their own particular ways of viewing things. They see the world through one particular lens. So that lens might be victimhood, that lens might be uh, politics, that lens might be past baggage, but what the reality is, is whatever their lens is, they wear it all the time and they never take it off. And so, so when, when somebody comes along and challenges their point of view, they don't take time to actually remove the lens, but they see the person through the lens and then they get irritable and resentful towards them. And the core issue here is a lack of empathy. Because love, it moves outside of itself to try to see the world from somebody else's perspective. So that even, even if I do think someone is wrong, because, you know, it's, it's possible that they are. Even if I do think someone is wrong, I can understand them. I can understand them. I can, I can see how they arrived at the conclusions that they, they arrived at, and I don't have to resent them for arriving at those conclusions. Okay, verse 6 says, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You can say it like this. It celebrates faithfulness. So you know what? Love, love gets really excited when people start pursuing Jesus faithfully. Love gets really excited when people actually repent, start seeking what Jesus wants for their lives. Um, so uh, last week we talked about the parable of the prodigal son. And... Uh, we talked, the, the, the main point there was that we are to love repentance as much as the, as the father does because the father in the story, he just loves the repentance of his son. He can't wait for it, right? So, so we want to love repentance as much as the father does, which means that the attitude of our heart should be that, that all of our brothers and sisters would be pursuing Jesus faithfully as much as, as, much as they can. And we get excited when that stuff to, starts to happen. Verse 7, love bears all things. It enters into the rough. So, so life is messy, and love is actually willing to step into another person's mess and sit with them in the middle of that mess and help them figure out what it looks like to bear the weight of that mess. Love, love doesn't hesitate to, to, to take on itself potentially the burden that another one of our brothers or sisters might be experiencing. It believes all things. Another way to say that is it is able to trust and build trust. So, so love, as much as it can, it, it makes the effort to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. It makes the effort to believe the best about a brother and sister. Uh, it, it's, and, and it's in this kind of environment where, where somebody gives the benefit of the doubt, where somebody believes the best. That, uh, it, it's in this place that, that there's a freedom for people to know each other, to actually know each other, to not put on any sort of pretense, but to, to, to make their life known and to be known by somebody, right? To know and be known. And uh, Don and Debbie, uh, we, uh, Andrea and I were at dinner with them last night, uh, associate pastor and, and his wife, and, and we, were, we were hanging out and we were talking about the reality, the value of community and, 
and how we, when we have taken steps to allow ourselves to be known in a place, honestly, like we didn't know if we could trust or not, but we took those steps anyway. We tried to believe the best about the people in the room, and so, so we kind of let some of our struggles out, some, some things that, that maybe we thought we wouldn't be able to tell anybody. And when we, when we start to make those things known, you know what it does? It actually starts to reinforce that atmosphere of trust. It creates a place where, where people feel like, oh, I can, I can talk about that here. I can make that side of me known that I didn't think I could make known to, to anybody else. You know, so, so this, this kind of believing all things about people, this is, this is a thing that builds an atmosphere of trust for us. And, and uh, the struggle, I think, is that this is something that is really lacking in our culture. I, I don't think we have true spaces for transparency and really knowing and, and loving each other well. And so this is an opportunity for, for our church to give the culture a vision of what knowing each other and being known by each other can look like. Love hopes all things. Another way to say that is it has a positive vision for their future. So even when things are really bad or really challenging in your relationship with a person or, or in something that they've done, maybe somebody has fallen short, uh, you know what, does, what love does is it actually sees the potential for their good. It can still have a positive vision for their future. It can see how God can do something in, in their life in a really significant way. So I think of Jesus and Peter after, after Peter had denied Jesus. You know, Jesus went to the cross and, and Peter is, is out there as Jesus is in, inside getting beaten. G, uh, Peter is outside and, and these people ask Peter, hey Peter, uh, I heard, I, I've seen you with Jesus before. And Peter says, no, I don't know him. I have no idea who he is denies him three times. And then and after Jesus is, after he rises from the dead, Peter and Jesus, they have this encounter. And the last thing, like the last interaction that they had was Peter, like Peter denied Jesus. And so, uh, so they're there together and, and Jesus, he asked Peter, do you love me? And then they, they have this sort of exchange back and forth about whether or not Peter loves Jesus. But then every time Jesus says, feed my sheep. So that, so that Jesus can see for Peter a positive vision for his future, even though he failed in about the worst way. He still can hope for Peter's future. So I just want to add a side note. How powerful is it when you're in the midst of something really hard, maybe something that you did, maybe something that you messed up, and somebody comes to you, and they can tell you the good, the potential for good, that still exists inside of this situation. It's a really powerful thing. Love endures all things. Say it like this, it has no terms of expiration. So, so if X, Y, or Z happens, I'm not going to jump ship. You know, uh, We can tend to say things like, hey, I won't, I won't go to church if I'm not treated a certain way. I won't serve if I don't get some benefit from it. I, I, I won't do these things for someone else if they don't do them for me. But this is the thing. Love decides to stick things out even when it's hard. Love decides to stick things out even when it's hard. So, uh, so here we go. That is, that's a lot. So can I be real with you? Like, 
there aren't even 15 things up there, but I can probably tell you 15 ways that I like fell short of every single one of those probably within the last week. Right? Like these, these things can, uh, I, I think we actually have a problem when we encounter this because this is, the, like, this is what love is supposed to look like. But, but there's a real problem here and the problem is this. Generous love does not come naturally to us. Generous love does not come naturally to us. So I can tell you, um, like, some of the ones that I might tend to struggle with more. Let's talk about love being secure. Well, I, I can tell you that sometimes I might operate out of insecurity. Sometimes I might be tempted to prove myself or feel like I need to put on some air and, and not be truly me, not be truly secure in who Jesus is. And, and so I might, I might end up boasting. Uh, I might end up uh, not taking the blame for something that belongs to me, Right? And that's not good. So, so there's a place where I, I, I'll probably fall short. And then uh, talk about setting aside preferences. Yeah. Oh, I, if I'm good at anything, I am good at getting what I want. Okay, so like setting aside preferences, you're telling me that this is what love does? That is not natural inside of me. Seeking understanding that I would actually look outside of my, my own perspective for things and try to understand the perspective of somebody else. Like, what kind of expectation is that? But that's, that's the kind of love that we're called to. And, and like I said, we could probably go through each one of us. Each of us could go through each one of these and, and probably explain, okay, yeah, like I missed it that time and I missed it that time. And so maybe you can relate to that. Uh, and the problem is that naturally, this is the world that we live in, right? Naturally, we are all focused on self. Okay, so what? I've got one, just one this morning. And it is this. What do I do with the fact that this love is basically impossible? What do I do with the fact that this love is basically impossible? So, uh, so I'm going to put some steps up here. Uh, number one, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. So, so the definition that we offered earlier, the New Testament vision of love that we talked about, is Christ-rooted action for a christ bought family. Which means that this kind of love that Paul is calling us to in this text, it only finds its truest expression in and through Jesus. That's the, the, the truest expression of what love is supposed to look like only happens in connection to Christ. And that is the same Christ who, when we fail, bears the weight of our failure for us. So, so actually what happens, the more we recognize how far we fall short, that, that actually pushes us to Jesus more because Jesus bears the weight of that failure on himself. And so, so then we experience Jesus' love for us and then that actually leads his love to change us into people who love better than we used to. So, so it keeps reinforcing itself. So I would say don't stop coming to Jesus. Don't stop asking the Spirit to help you love better. And don't stop leaning on Jesus' grace when you fall short. Run to Jesus. Number two, connect with his people. So the church is the place. As Jesus like casts this vision for what the church is supposed to be in the world, what, what his, his followers are supposed to be in the world, the church is the place where we express that love for each other. The church is the, is the place where this vision is cast. And so, so Sunday morning here, this, this is one sphere where we express that love. But... Sunday morning certainly is not going to be nearly enough, 
because most of your time is spent listening to me talking. So, uh, so to actually have the opportunity to, to love each other, to, uh, to, to talk to each other, to know each other, to be known by each other, it, it won't all fit into Sunday morning. And, and so um, this is why we're doing this focus on community groups. This is why you've been hearing about community groups like incessantly over the, over the past uh, four weeks is because um, we believe that in these spaces where we're maybe going into each other's homes, we're spending time with each other during the week, uh, we believe relationships are formed in these spaces where we can learn what this kind of love looks like. And so if you're not in a group or you're trying to figure out what group you're going to jump into, I just encourage you, find some way to be a part of a group because this is where we learn to really be the church and start exercising this love that, that God calls us to exercise. So if you haven't signed up yet, you can go to abcbartlett.org info and sign up for a group and, then, and you'll have an opportunity to, to jump into a community group. The other way you can do that uh, this morning is uh, you can fill out one of those red connect cards and let us know that you want to um, jump into a group. But, but we believe that, that connecting with other people is really important. Connecting with God's people is really important. This is the kind of thing that develops the love that he desires to see in us. Number three, examine how you love. And maybe invite others to help. Um, actually, you probably should invite others to help. That would be a good thing. Uh, if you don't, so... so if you don't have a sphere where you get to regularly practice community, where you get to regularly exercise love for each other, I'd say start there. You need to find a place where you can jump in and, and, and experience Christian community. But then, once you're in that space, start, start asking yourself regularly, how am I doing in terms of the kind of love that Jesus desires me to have for these people who are around me? How does Jesus want me to grow in my love? Where is he challenging me? How, how am, am I loving my Christ-bought family in the way that Christ calls me to? Number four, so after you examine yourself, you'll inevitably, inevitably figure out that you've fallen short in some way. So, so I would say repent. Um, maybe, maybe there's some confession that you need to, to give to a brother or sister, some way that you recognize that you've fallen short. Um, maybe you just simply need to, to make a decision that, that you want to make more of an effort. Maybe you really just need to say, okay, Spirit, I am falling short, and you need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill you and equip you to carry out love in a particular way. But whatever it is, um, you know, when we see ourselves falling short, Jesus calls us to, to change. And then five, repeat. So, so here's the thing. We don't stop doing this process. We keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going. And you know what God does? Like, there's this process called sanctification. Where, where God actually starts turning us into the people he desires us to be so that we look and smell more and more like Jesus. So that we are like this aroma to the world of, of who Jesus wants us to be so that when we are in the middle of the world, they look at us, they observe us, they see the way that we love each other, and that love provides this most compelling vision of who God is and how God desires to love all people. And I think that's the really cool opportunity that we have. So, so what's going to happen? I'm going to pray, and then today we're just going to close with a video. Um, it's, it's a song, and the song is really powerful and really pointed and really helps us to hone in on the fact that, that this love that we have, it has the opportunity to actually restore hope in this world because the world will see our love.
and they will know who, who God is. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we will, we'll watch this video. Father, as we seek to love each other, would you be glorified? Lord, would, would you help us to understand maybe the ways that we fall short? Lord, but beyond that, uh, would you do the loving through us? Lord, without your love, without a connection to you, this kind of love is impossible. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to stay connected to you. Lord, and as we connect to you, would you connect us to other people, other Christians in, in this community? Lord, and I, I do pray for Alliance Bible Church here in the middle of Bartlett. Lord, I pray that you would, you would grant us the chance for our love to be seen by people in this community and to give those people a vision of who you are and the kind of love with which you desire to love everyone. So Lord, only you can do this and we are reliant on on you for it. Lord, would you help to form these things inside of us? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.